This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Spirit Technology Solutions. If you do business, do it with Spirit. Fundies called me up, told me to take a look, but stay stubborn as bulls and talk their own book. Get the money, get the money, get, get the money. Well, Michael Goldberg, welcome back to uh, to Talk Your Book. I think you're our most capped uh, speaker on Talk Your Book, so I really appreciate you giving us your time and, and coming back on the show. Chris, my pleasure. Thanks for having me again. Now, uh, always like to open up the opportunity for a humble brag. Uh, Collins Street Value Fund has been performing brilliantly. Why don't you tell um, tell the viewers how you guys have been going over the last twelve months? Yeah, look, it's been a very pleasing. Uh, it's been a very pleasing journey from the beginning, really. Um, according to Morningstar, within our category, we're currently ranked number one for the past twelve months um, over twelve months, three years, and five years. So it's been quite a journey. It's been an exceptional period coming out of COVID nineteen for sure. You know, we always say. From uncertainty comes opportunity and it's been really pleasing to see that actually come to fruition you know there's been so much uncertainty there's been so much dislocation and thankfully we've been able to keep our nerve and, and find those ideas that can generate some really good results so very very pleased for our investors very pleased for our company and hopefully many more years to come and give you your percentage return for the last 12 months because it was a bloody big return yeah yeah we we, we returned some 64 percent for the last 12 months um if you look at the longer track record uh, we're running at about 19 and a quarter percent per annum over the last five and a half, six years. So very pleased with how things have been going. Beautiful. And what stock did you want to talk about today? I thought we'd have a chat about um, an unloved stock, probably not a shock given it's coming from us, um, Retail Food Group. Have you had a chance to have a look at the company before? I've looked at it before and um, it's a it's a fund manager's favourite, isn't it? There's, there's a heap of funds on the register. Um, so maybe talk us through their business model. What do they do? What are their brands they own? And yeah, how do they operate? No uh, well, first of all, it's probably worth noting, we, you know, we first we first invested in the company early on this year. We were fortunate enough to, to pick up a material stake, a, a substantial stake at about six and a half cents per share. We we managed to find some people who were keen to, you know, they'd been there for a while, they'd been fed up with the story, you know, they'd seen the share price come down from its heights in 2015 all the way to its lows in 2020, and we were able to get a, a substantial position at six and a half cents. Um, but we think it's probably worth more than twice that. We think it's probably worth about 15 cents per share, you know, just... By way of background, the company it's a it's a it's a food and coffee franchise business. So you think about the likes of Pizza Capers, um, Crust Pizza, Brumbies, Donut King, Gloria Jeans, and Michelle's Patisseries, and a, and a couple of others. But those are the those are the main brands. And when you think about those sorts of businesses, you really think that they should be pretty simple. They should be understandable. They should be predictable, and they should be resilient. Um, but if you take a long term view, they've been anything but that. Look, they've done really well since they started turning things around in 2019, but before that, they've been a debacle. So we understand why the market doesn't like it. There are plenty of reasons not to like it. Um, certainly, again, taking the long-term view, you know, we've seen the share prices fall from five years ago, $7, to currently around about $0.07. Cents. You know, the brand has done themselves no favours in the way they treated their franchisees, and they've absolutely muddied their name. That's for sure an issue that is still still causing trouble for the market and, and for the share price today. Um, they've got ACCC action ongoing, which of course puts a cloud over the, over the share and, and the business. And it sort of stimmies their ability to grow as they would like to. And I think because of all the negative outcomes that, that investors have seen over the journey, I think the expectations for the turnaround uh, are pretty low. Um, you know, it's gotten to the point, and let me be clear, the, the new CEO, Peter George, is doing a fantastic job. I, you know, we've, we've spoken to him a few times. And what he's implementing is wonderful, but it's gotten to the point where the brand is so toxic 
that when we came out and announced that we were a substantial shareholder, we had somebody who was about to become a client ring us up and say, look, I appreciate your model. I appreciate your approach, but I can't invest in a fund that's investing in retail food group. And obviously that's a shame for us and it'll be a shame for them as well, I hope. Well, it'll be a shame for them presumably as well. But what it does is it really highlights why this stock is cheap. Their brand is so toxic. There's so much vitriol and disdain towards this company that no one is paying any attention to the, to the positives of which there are many. So we'll get into the HPC action in a minute because I think understanding that is such an important factor in, uh, in RFG. But maybe for those that are unfamiliar with the franchisee model, just explain how that business model works and how our RFG get revenue from those franchisee owners. So, so there are a couple of different ways, but the predominant way is it's a licensing fee. So um, Retail Food Group will have a number of corporate owned shops, but they'll also provide new shops to people who want to come on board and use their brands. And essentially they get the benefits of economies of scale. They get the benefits of, of best practices and they get the benefits of being able to advertise to the wider market in a way that a, say a one-man shop might not be able to if they're running their own coffee house or their own donut shop or their own bakery. So, so the way that Retail Food Group makes their money is by payments from their franchisees. Um, in return, the franchisees get better deals on, 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 their, on their inputs and their products. You know, during COVID-19, Retail Food Group went to bat for their franchisees with the landlords and got some good deals. And, 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 and on the other side, they, they reduced their fees, the franchisees who found themselves in distress. So it's really all about, you know, the sum being greater than the parts. That, that's, that's the essential value in a franchise model. And, and again, the franchisee makes money from those fees that they get from the individual franchisees. And you mentioned some of the different brands that are housed under RFG. What, what about their geographic locations? Where are the franchises uh, yeah. located? Look, they're, they're predominantly Australian, although they do have a bit of a uh, exposure overseas as well. So New South Wales has about 330-odd stores across, across the state. Um, Queensland then and Victoria have around about 200 stores. And then the other states drop off to about 50 stores each or, or thereabouts. Um, and I believe there's about 50 stores globally as well. Um, Look, it's, it's a really well-diversified business. You know, they've, they've got exposure to all of the major stakes in Australia, which means when Victoria goes down, as we've been seeing recently in, uh, with, with the new COVID world that we're living in, they're getting the benefit of an open New South Wales. When New South mm. Wales goes down, they've got the benefit of an open Queensland and Victoria. So, so it's, it's a really well-diversified company. Um, they don't have the same amount of stores today that they did several years ago. If you look back at 2017, they, I think they hit a peak of about 2,500 stores. As they've sort of reorganized themselves, they've seen themselves shrink to, to victory or, or shrink to, to, what's the word I'm looking for here? Shrink to greatness. Thank you. They've <laughs> shrunk themselves to greatness. Um, and they're currently running at about 850 stores. Now, they've not been growing at a rate at the moment. And that's partly because of COVID-19 and the new world we live in. But also, um, it's got to do with the overhang from the ACCC and, and that sort of thing really does put a dent in their ability to, to grow the store networks. And so with 40% odd of the stores in New South Wales, we know New South Wales are currently in a lockdown. How do you view that as an investor? Are you able to just look through that and say, well, we're not going to be going through these lockdowns forever, or we hope not? Do you think you know, perhaps pizza delivery stores are doing quite well? And I assume anything with exposure to a shopping centre is pretty disastrous at the minute. How are you sort of looking through, say, the New South Wales lockdown at the minute and the effect that's going to have on 40% of their locations? Yeah, I think after 
a year and a half, I'm sick of predicting the end of COVID-19. Yeah. So I don't think that's a, that, that's not a winning bet. Um, but look, I mean, I think what we saw during the second half of uh, 2020 and early 2021 is that despite the fact that the intuitive sense might be that these sorts of businesses would really struggle through COVID-19, there were some surprises. So for example, they, they were initiative, you know, there, there were initiatives. Gloria Jean started opening up um, drive-throughs. So yeah, people aren't gonna come in to buy their coffee because of social distancing, but people are happy to go through a drive-through to buy their coffee, you know? Um, similarly, Cross Pizza and Brumbies both, I think benefited significantly from stay-at-home eating mm. and also from shopping locally. So, you know, whilst in the past you might've gone to, you know, a restaurant, now you've got fewer choices. You can't go to restaurants. So what are you gonna do? You order a pizza. So if you look at what happened to, to, to Brumbies and to, and to the pizza network and to, and to um, Gloria Jeans, they actually improved. I think pizza, the pizza business was up 7% um, like for like sales in the last half. Brumbies was up 12%. And I think Gloria Jeans was up as much as 20%. So mm. it's very hard to sort of put your finger on things and say, this is what's going on. And this is exactly how it's going to pan out. You're certainly it, it's certainly true that CBD shops will be struggling. It's certainly mm. true that stores that are based out of um, shopping centers will be struggling, but across the network, they've been very clever in the way they've, they've, you know, they've adjusted for the, for the new situation we find ourselves in. And they've, they've done quite well. They were profitable. They were profitable yeah. through COVID-19. It was unbelievable. No doubt um, JobKeeper helped, but even still, it's very impressive what they managed to achieve. And the elephant in the room, which you already touched on, is obviously the ACCC action. And previous management had a, a colourful history of, of treating franchisees. And by colourful, I mean treating them like shit. Um, maybe talk us through what that event's been like and, and maybe how you're feeling about that ACCC court case. Where's it at? What sort of timeline are you putting on it? Yeah. Look, the behaviour was unconscionable. And that, that's what the ACCC calls it, unconscionable. And I think that is, that is accurate. Essentially what happened was... Retail Food Group sold some of their corporate stores to new franchisees without providing them the profit and loss um, details. So they provided balance sheet stuff, they provided sales, they provided all sorts of other stuff. They didn't provide profit and loss. Now, you know, if I were buying a business, I wouldn't touch it without the profit and loss. But some of these people aren't necessarily sophisticated. They're mums and dads. They they took Retail Food Group at their word. They figured if Retail Food Group says it's going to be a good store, it's got good sales, then it's going to be a good store and it's going to have good sales. So across the network, they found 42 stores that were sold businesses in this particular way. It's awful. It's mm. awful what they did. But if you do the math and you have a look at what the actual total costs and losses were for those businesses, it was less than $4 million, which is not unsubstantial, but it's not company breaking. The other issue that the ACCC has with retail food groups previous activity was they, they made some loans to themselves from their marketing budgets. They borrowed money from the marketing budget. Which really belongs to the franchisees which, in effect, doesn't it? That market. 100% it does. That, that yeah. money belongs to the franchisees. It's, you've got no right lending that elsewhere. Mm. Now they paid back most of it and it was a big sum, but there's about 18, $19 million that they wrote off in the end as a, as a bad debt. So it's hard for me to be certain all of the skeletons in the closet, but when I did the math, it looked to me like there was 20, $25 million worth of claims potentially. You know, we think on the low side, um, the company might have to pay as little as $5 million, although they've already spent $5 million um, dealing with this matter. On the upper side, we think maybe 30, 35 million. 
But again, I think the market's looking at this as a potential company breaker. Mm. I think people are overestimating the effect of, of the ACCC action. And I think they're drastically underestimating the company turnaround and, 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 and the optionality going forwards. And they've got about mid-30s in cash. Is that right? Yeah, they've got 40. I think they've got about 40 cash. Okay. We're in a funny position at the moment, Chris. We're just before announce, we're just before the uh, the half yearly or, or, or end of financial year announcements. And try as I might, and it's my job to ask the questions, but uh, management just basically said, we're in black hat period. We can't tell you anything. Wait till you see the results. So we're in a bit of a funny situation at the moment. It's unclear exactly how much debt they have and exactly how much cash they have, but it looks like their net debt is probably around about 40 odd million dollars. Yeah. Um, and they've got about $40 million worth of cash. And so as a non lawyer, I look at something like this and say, even if the ABLE Triple C wanted to go particularly hard on RFG, if they go too hard, the net losers out of this are the franchisees who yep. potentially have a franchisor that can no longer spend money on marketing and the things they're obliged to spend money on to, to create a strong small business for them. Does that play into how you view a case like this when you're trying to create a probability for just how hard the ACCC will go and who the net losers are from that action yeah it's look yes yes for sure it's it's hard to judge what sort of uh what's been going on in the background and how that's going to translate into how aggressively the ACCC go um we do know that there's arbitration next week and so hopefully there'll be an outcome from that if there's no outcome from arbitration there's actually um additional court dates in early august so we're talking about something that's very very live um my experience, as limited as it may be, also not a lawyer, Chris, but my experience certainly watching these sorts of things as they affect listed companies that we've had an interest in in the past is that there's normally a compromise because if you smack the company too hard, you break it and that's not good for the shareholders, it's not good for the franchisees, it's not good for anybody. Um, but if you go too lightly at the same time, it doesn't set a precedent. So it's mm. sort of that fine balance between getting a fair outcome for the people who were um, improperly treated um, but also not going so far as to break the business because that doesn't suit anybody. Because we, we did see the arrangement they got with their banks when they were restructuring, which was just an incredible arrangement. Where uh, the bank, I, I love bank debt write-offs. What, what did they, how much did they write off? They wrote off over $70 million. Which was just amazing. Which, I mean, that spoke to the banks looking to protect franchisees in, in this instance and not wanting uh, to send a whole heap of mums and dads to the wall, which legally they, they were within their rights to do, I guess. Yeah, look, I think you're probably right. I think the banks had a look and said, look, you know, old management had a particular way and it wasn't working. New management have come in, you know, they're building relationships with, with their franchisees, they're building relationship with their staff. I mean, they, they don't have this particular office anymore, but they used to have an office in Queensland where there were separate entrances for staff and management. Such was the relationship between upper management and the franchises and stuff. They had separate entrances because they Chris didn't Judd, Chris Judd Invest has that same entrance policy, Michael. I don't think we should... I don't think yeah, we but, should but let's be fair. That, that's because people would mob you because you're popular, not mob because you're unpopular. <laughs> or, or because there's no employees. It could be, could be that too. Um, so talk me through the numbers. Talk about balance sheet, um, market cap and earnings. Yeah, okay. So the market cap's about $160 million. So it is a smaller cap company at the moment. It obviously was in the billions a few years ago, and I think it's got potential to grow to there eventually as well if things go well. Um, in terms of EPS per share, I think consensus has them earning about one cent per share, which relative to the share price yesterday was uh, about a seven times multiple. I don't know what's happened in the last couple of days. It seems to be up about 10, 11%. Maybe people are getting wind of, of the arbitration. Maybe a broker wrote a note. <laughs> who, could, who, could, who could tell? Um, 
and in terms of debt, it's very, very manageable. You know, their, their interest covers about 22 times, uh, 22 times. So th that, that debt is very, very sustainable. And their end patent cash flows is around about, I think, 25 to 30 odd million dollars going forward. So, you know, we think we think in 2022, it'll make about a cent. We think in 2023, it'll make about 1.3 cents. You know, we're talking about some real growth here. It's, it's actually really interesting. You know, it's if it wasn't so cheap and unloved, you'd almost call it a growth stock. I mean, next year, we're anticipating, I think, 20% growth. The year after that consensus has a 30% growth. Yet we're looking at a company that's currently trading on seven, maybe now seven and a half times earnings. So, you know, to your point earlier, actually, you said there's a lot of fund managers in, in this business. Well, I think it ticks a lot of boxes, right? Mm -hmm. for, for value investors at this point, at least, you know, good business, good management, good turnaround story, you know, solid brands. You know, even if, even if you make the case that the retail food group brand is broken and interestingly, they're looking to rebrand to Iconic Co., you know, nobody thinks about retail food group when they're going in to buy their donut from Donut King or their coffee from Gloria James. And talk me through talk me through franchisee numbers because you, you spoke about shrinking to greatness before. I guess some of the growth will be supercharged when they actually start to to grow the number of franchisees again. When can you see that sort of growth coming back into this stock? Yeah, look, it is a little bit hard to tell. Um, it's hard to tell how much of the lessening of franchise numbers is to do with COVID, how much of it is to do with management changes and how much of it, it has to do with the overhang from the ACCC. But um, Peter George did mention in an interview not that long ago, he said it's, it's, it's harder to become a retail food group franchisee now than it is to get MCC membership. So, so they, 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 have, they have changed the way they go about this. It's not just growth at any cost. Mm. Um, they're looking to make sure that their franchisees are looked after. Because at the end of the day, if the franchisees do well and the franchisor will do well and so will the, so, so will the shareholders. Um, look, at the moment, they're, eight, they're at 850. Um, they've had some onboarding. They've had some offboarding. I think we really need to wait and see what happens post the ACCC before we get any fresh air and we can really talk about starting to grow those numbers again. Look, if, if things go well with the ACCC, I could imagine us getting over 1,000 by 2023. But again, it's dependent on a lot of factors. And... You know, it, it's safer not to try and preempt growth. It's safer from a value, from the investor perspective or from my perspective, just look what they've got now. And on that basis, is they cheap. And on the basis of what we're seeing right now, yeah, they do look quite cheap. So if they manage to grow, it'll be even better. And can you see dividends coming back to this stock in 2022? Again, I think dividends have been on hold predominantly because of the ACCC and, and, and the chance they might need to make a payout. Um, we certainly expect 2022 will start seeing a dividend. We think it's probably around about five-ish percent once you gross it up for the franking credits it's closer to eight percent and if earnings go the way that you think they will or the company is suggesting that it will we're talking about eight percent plus franking in 2023 so yes there are some very substantial um opportunities for for dividend paying from this business again subject to getting through the ACCC and getting some fresh air on the other side beautiful mate well as always it's a, another very well articulated story from you so uh really appreciate it. and Look forward to uh, to watching uh, RFG from the sidelines. Thanks, mate. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me again. This episode of Talk Your Book is proudly brought to you by Spirit Technology Solutions. If you do business, do it with Spirit. If you're enjoying Talk Your Book, make sure you subscribe to Chris Judd Invest. Nothing you hear today should be considered investment advice. Please do your own research and seek out your own financial advisor before committing any capital to these markets.